Good evening. My name is John Buchtel, Curator of Rare Books and Head of Special Collections here at the Boston Athenaeum. It's my great pleasure to welcome you to the John Hubbard Sturgis Eaton Endowed Lecture. Tonight, we present two distinguished speakers, Henry Adams and Bill Cross, the curators of an upcoming Winslow Homer exhibition that will open August 3rd at the Cape Ann Museum. Before we begin, however, please note the two emergency exits marked at the front and rear of the room, and please also take a moment to silence your mobile devices. While you do that, allow me to tell you why tonight's event is quite special. This lecture is free to our members, made possible through the support of the John Hubbard Sturgis Eaton Endowment. That generous gift was established by Athenaeum proprietor Isabel Black and her husband Scott in honor of Isabel's late father. Thank you both. Every year, we gather for this endowed lecture as close as we can to Mr. Eaton's birth date, March 18th. He was a proprietor of the Athenaeum and longtime friend to this library with an abiding interest in fine art, beauty, travel, and culture. Our accomplished speakers, art historians Henry Adams and Bill Cross, will carry those themes into their presentation tonight. Their forthcoming major exhibition, Homer at the Beach, will explore the marine works of renowned American artist Winslow Homer. We are loaning a group of photographs from the Athenaeum's collection to this exhibition. These will provide important contextual visuals for the exhibition's narrative about Homer's formation as a marine artist. Stay tuned. We plan to organize a trip, a day trip, for Athenaeum members to visit the exhibition in September. As Bill, who is also an Athenaeum proprietor, knows well, an Athenaeum is an unusual and very special kind of place and a very special community. The Athenaeum is a place whose commitment to preserving the records of the past allows researchers, like Bill, to rediscover, for example, the kind of photographic documentation that we are loaning to the Cape Ann for this exhibition. The Athenaeum is the kind of community where we can gather to share, discuss, and celebrate the knowledge and discoveries of curators like Henry and Bill. The Athenaeum is the kind of place where we can celebrate the accomplishments and dedication of supporters like the late Mr. Eaton. Now please join me in welcoming tonight's true host, Isabel Black. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I would like to welcome you to the annual John Hubbard Sturgis Eaton Lecture Series which was so generously endowed by my husband, Scott Black, in memory of my father. Tonight's lecture is titled Homer at the Beach, an exhibition of Winslow Homer's early marine work, 
which will be co-curated by Henry Adams and Bill Quas and will open this August at the Cape Ann Museum in Gloucester. I do not clearly remember if my father fancied the artist Winslow Homer. His preference may have been the placid and light-imbued seascapes by Fitz Henry Lane. Interestingly, however, Homer and my father did have some things in common. Firstly, Winslow Homer and my father lived in the same farmhouse at 39 Old Concord Road in Belmont during the early years of their respective boyhoods. I vividly remember my father and more recently my aunt, who is in attendance tonight, recalling drawings left by Winslow Homer in the maid's bedroom of that Belmont home. Homer is widely associated with paintings of the Maine coastline, as well as known as an illustrator of the Civil War. However, he was originally from Belmont, where he spent the first two decades of his life as a budding artist before relocating to New York City in 1859. In Belmont, he lived around the corner from his uncle, William Flagg Homer. His uncle's house was saved from demolition in the 1920s by the Belmont Women's Club, which still owns the mansion today. Another common interest of Homer and my father was their attraction to the ocean. Homer executed some of his early marine paintings on the north shore of Boston. In 1873, he sojourned in Gloucester during the summer and painted watercolors while living on Eastern Point. My father also loved the ocean, and particularly Manchester by the sea. He spent many happy summers as a child and young man at his great-aunt's estate, so-called Rookwood, on Summer Street. I remember him taking us for picnics at his great-aunt Mabel Russell Sturgis's art studio, which was built on a cliff overlooking Dana Beach. I can still smell the fragrance of the blackberry bushes on the path down to the beach. There's a distinct possibility, according to Bill Cross, that Homer painted Margaret McCullough, the second wife of my father's ancestor, Russell Sturgis Jr., in one of his beach scenes. It appears that Margaret was a wonderful wife and mother, bearing four children with her husband, Russell Sturgis Jr., in addition to nurturing four, children, four older children. Upon giving birth to twin sons in 1868, Russell asked her what she would like as a special gift. She requested that Russell build her a church. He fulfilled her wish in 1882, constructing Emmanuel Church in Manchester, which still stands today. While my father took us frequently to Manchester and to Barnstable, where his father and stepmother retired, he never drove us to Maine. Unfortunately, his mother's younger brother, John Hubbard Sturgis, drowned at age nine in York Harbor, Maine. Subsequently, the family never returned to Maine since because of this tragedy. It was my husband, Scott, a Portland native, who introduced me to the scenic beaches and quaint back roads of Maine. Through numerous visits to the Portland Museum of Art and our main beach vacations, I became familiar with the rock-bound, craggy coast of Maine. 
Because of our involvement in the Portland Museum, I had the privilege of attending the reopening of Winslow Homer's studio in 2012, a memorable celebration at the Black Point Inn at Prout's Neck. Winslow Homer spent the remaining years of his life, 1884 to 1910, at his family's Prout's Neck carriage house, literally overlooking the ocean, studying and depicting the ever-changing moods of the sea. I vividly remember standing with my husband, Scott, on the exact ledge in front of his studio where Homer painted in 1890, Summer Night, a famous canvas in the permanent collection of the Musée d'Orsay in Paris. It depicts an expansive nocturnal seascape from romantic dances in the moonlight along the shore. The painting is slightly mysterious with the shadows of the figures projected like two-dimensional shapes upon the water. It is with great pleasure that I introduce the co-curators of Homer and the Beach exhibition to you, Henry Adams and Bill Cross. Thank you and enjoy the evening. Thanks for a wonderful introduction. When he graduated from high school, Winslow Homer nearly took a position as a clerk in a clothing store. But by chance, his father was in the same fire company as a commercial lithographer, John Buford. And so he went to work as a lithographer's apprentice instead. On ending his apprenticeship, Winslow Homer went to work as a freelance illustrator, and this marked the beginning of an illustrious career, both as illustrator and painter. One which culminated in dramatic seascapes, which are generally regarded as some of the most transcendent achievements in the entire history of American art. It's intriguing to think that had circumstances worked out differently, Winslow Homer might have spent his life as a clerk in a clothing store. Even from this brief summary, it's apparent that Winslow Homer's career was an unusual one, which started rather modestly and then moved forward in successive stages to more and more impressive achievements. Since his financial means were modest, he needed to make shrewd decisions at every step. Bill Cross and I are here this evening to talk about a major moment in this story, the decade of the 1870s, when Winslow Homer made the transition from supporting himself as an illustrator to abandoning illustration entirely to focus his efforts on painting. There's a strong local interest side to this story, for Homer produced many of his most memorable paintings of the decade in Gloucester, Massachusetts. There's a central question that runs through this investigation, namely, was Winslow Homer a modern artist? Does he deserve to be viewed as a figure whose work holds a place beside the modernist innovators of Europe, such as Edward Monet or the French Impressionist or James McNeil Whistler? It's surprising that this central question about the significance of his work has so seldom been posed. 
And the explanation, of course, is that Winslow Homer traditionally has been viewed as a uniquely American artist, untouched by foreign influences. To suggest that he shared a kinship with French painters has always been viewed as something of a heresy. But if we consider the matter, I think what's striking is how powerfully his work stands apart from every other American artist of the 19th century and seems more alive and more contemporary even today. This is a point eloquently expressed by Albert Tannike Gardner in a study of Winslow Hummer published in 1961. Gardner being the one major uh, author on Winslow Homer to suggest that we should look at his work not simply in an American but in international terms. And as Gardner wrote, though Homer's career spans almost exactly the years of Queen Victoria's era, it's somehow not quite possible to think of him as an old-fashioned artist. He's not one of those painters of the 19th century whose works were long forgotten and only recently resurrected revalued perhaps more for their gentle charm and their reminders of the quaint rusticities of a bygone day than for any really superior artistic qualities to be found in them. Winslow Hummer is definitely not a painter of this class. He was, and in some mysterious way, he remains a perennially vital modern artist in exactly the same way that some of his French contemporaries remain lively and apparently ageless. Homer seems to win the same kind of active appreciation that is accorded to Manet, Monet, and Degas, Cezanne, and Renoir. It is indeed curious that although the subject matter of their pictures may appear old-fashioned or be dated by details of costume or typography, the spirit of these men, their approach, their attitude of mind, their range and perception is not outmoded. Their feelings and ideas are immediately communicated to us without making any allowance for their age. Very few American artists of the 19th century have been able to achieve this remarkable, this enviable estate. And in fact, Winslow Hummer may perchance stand almost alone in his possession of this unusual power. Um, defining what the word modern means can be uh, slippery, uh, but it's helpful to go back to a seminal essay by Charles Baudelaire, The Painter of Modern Life, published in 1863. Essentially, Baudelaire proposed that we should invert traditional artistic hierarchies. Up to the time of Baudelaire, it was widely held that great art was great because it had eternal qualities similar to those of the great masters of the past. Baudelaire proposed instead that art was great if it captured the character of modern contemporary life, and that to do so it needed to focus on the ephemeral fleeting things that give a distinct character to the specific moment. Essentially, he proposed that artists should develop a new approach to both subject matter and technique. In choosing subjects, they should focus on things that were modern, that marked a departure from the past, and in their technique, they should develop methods for capturing momentary impressions, for capturing the fleeting moment. Homer followed both these directors, directives, as we shall see. It's doubtful whether Homer actually read Baudelaire's essay, but by the 1870s, these ideas had been widely circulated and would have been familiar to an ambitious young artist. 
With Winslow Hummer, his background as a magazine and newspaper illustrator predisposed him to a modern approach. From the first, Hummer's illustrations were a bit unusual, since they tended to focus not on remarkable newsworthy events, such as battles, uh, but on things such as a snowslide in the city or families at the beach or children playing games. Their interest centered on the way that they captured the qualities of contemporary life. Hummer's career as a painter grew out of his career as an illustrator. Illustration led him to look for topical newsworthy subjects, particularly those connected with changing social customs. When he shifted from illustration to painting in the 1870s, he continued to look for subjects of topical interest. A notable social phenomenon that caught Hummer's eye towards the beginning of the 1870s was the development of the beach vacation, which he first recorded in a group of paintings and illustrations made in Long Branch, New Jersey, which is just a short ferry ride from New York. For men and boys in the 19th century, it seems to have been common practice to simply throw off your clothes and jump in a practice which is recorded in one of Hummer's most charming watercolors of Gloucester, a view of uh, five naked boys seen from behind, which now belongs to the painter Jamie Wyeth. Women, however, were expected to be more modest. Uh, and in fact, in the early 19th century, most women never entirely wet their bodies uh, at one time, whether for swimming or taking a bath. This changed, however, in the mid-19th century with the development of the beach vacation and of bathing suits for women. Long Branch, New Jersey seems to have been one of the first spots in the country where women congregated to go swimming or wading and where changing stations were erected so that they could do so with modesty. As Hummer recorded, uh, women would make the excursion to Long Branch in their most fashionable clothes, then change into bathing suits and go wading or swimming. For, this, for men, this provided an enjoyable spectator sport as they strolled along their beach in their suits and top hats. <laughs> An article in the Cape Ann Advertiser records that in Gloucester, large crowds would assemble on the beach uh, front at the noon hour uh, which was the appointed hour for women to change into bathing suits and go swimming. Hummer's scenes of uh, swimming and beach life seem to have been the impetus for his first painting excursions to the North Shore. His first major figure painting of the North Shore is a scene of three women shivering in their wool bathing suits as they dry, dry off and is set on Singing Beach in Manchester. The painting marks the beginning of an intensive artistic exploration of scenes set in Manchester and Gloucester, extending from 1873 to 1880, and including some of his best-known uh, paintings of the uh, 1870s, such as uh, Breezing Up of 1875. In bold terms, Homer's period in Gloucester coincided with two new social developments, the development of the beach vacation and the emergence of the Gloucester fishing industry. 
while it had some precedents earlier, the beach vacation only took off in the 1870s when middle-class prosperity and the development of railroads made it possible for city dwellers to escape the sweltering summer heat of cities and head to the beach. This led in turn to new beach and maritime activities such as bathing and yachting. Hummer's watercolors and illustrations provide an interesting document of these new activities. Um, I've mentioned uh, his interest in swimming, both for boys and for women in their newfangled bathing suits. And he also recorded boating, uh, fishing, setting lobster traps, setting a clam bake, uh, a variety of children's games. And there are interesting aspects to this. For example, this was the period when lobster changed from an undesirable food, which you fed to indigents in poor houses.